As we enter into our seminar tonight, let's have a word of prayer. Gracious Father, as we come to you in this, our last chapter of the book of Revelation, we ask that indeed you will be with us, guide us, give us understanding of your will, and Lord, help us to know how we may best serve thee. Give us wisdom, and may we truly be committed to you, that we may be ready for the coming of Jesus. We ask it in his precious name. Amen. For those who were not here, we'll review what we discussed in chapter 21. Notice here, it says that John, in chapter 21, he sees a new heavens and new earth, for there was no sea. And we talked about how much wasted territory there is in the earth right now by water and deserts and so forth. And it says, the city descends to earth from heaven as a bride prepared for her husband and the wedding. The Bible talks about the wedding of the bridegroom and the bride. And what is the actual bride? It's the holy city that is bedecked or beautified, bejeweled with the redeemed. So what he's looking at here. He's not looking at the second coming because that's when he comes to take the jewels to heaven. He's looking at the holy city at the end of the millennium, the third coming of Christ, where the city comes down with the saints in it. And then he says again, God will personally dwell with men on earth. There will be tears no more. These things are behind us. Notice once again, he says, it is done. He said something similar on the cross. He said something after um, his high priesthood was completed. And now he says it at the end of the millennium. Those who are living with him are overcomers. They overcame sin in their lives. Those who did not overcome moral sins and character flaws are designated as being among the lost. The holy city, it varies depending on who's calculating it, anywhere from 1,377 miles to 1,500 miles, and it's square. And that would be all around the perimeter of it. And it has various gemstones. Each of these represent character traits. Character traits of the sons of Jacob, character traits of the apostles, and character traits of the saints that they have overcome. Notice the 12 foundations. They're named after the 12 apostles. There's also 12 gates after the tribes of Israel. And every gate, every three gates, was one pearl. And Jesus is represented as the pearl of great price. He's the only one, the only way into the kingdom. You can't climb over the wall. There's uh, the Father and the Lamb are the temple in that city. Now, there may be a temple outside the city, but in the city, the Father and the Son are the temple. And there is no darkness in the city, but that doesn't mean that the day cycle doesn't continue. Outside the city, you may have day and night, but in the city, you don't, because the glory of God is the light thereof. And notice, only those written in the Lamb's book of life will enter. Nothing abominable will be there. Abomination usually is associated with idols, and it is something that makes God sick. It isn't always just idols. He talks about eating the swine's flesh as being abominable in the sight of God. So it's more than just um, idols. It's anything that's unclean in the eyes of God. Tonight, as we go into chapter 22, which is the final chapter, it begins with an introduction in the first five verses. Notice what it says. And he showed me a pure river of water of life. Clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. 
I'm sure Flint would like to have a, that crystal clear water, wouldn't they? But it's proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. That's the source of it. And as it flows along, it says in the midst of the street of it. That means in the middle of the path of it. And on either side of the river was there the tree of life. Now the tree of life, notice, it's on both sides of the river. Now I've seen different pictures of this portrayed. Some have a trunk over on the right side and a trunk over on the left side and then the branches over top intermingle. But to me, that looks more like two trees that are just merged. But notice it said in the midst of it, I get the impression from this text, and again, we'll have to wait till we get there to see, but it appears that part of the trunk is on one side, part of the trunk is on the other side, and it merges together in the middle into one trunk. Now, I'm not going to bet my life on that, We'll have to wait and see. And notice that there is no tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You notice that's absent? Because that's behind us. Now, what is the tree of life doing in the holy city? The last time we saw the tree of life, it was down here on the earth. And remember that God stationed angels around the Garden of Eden after Adam and Eve got kicked out, so that they wouldn't come back in. Because if they came back in and they ate of the tree of life, what would happen? They'd live forever as sinners. And God wanted to get rid of this sin problem once and for all. So apparently the tree of life was here. As a matter of fact, the Garden of Eden itself was probably on the earth for a long time. Some speculate that it even was on the earth until the time of Noah. And the people could go, Cain, he could go and look in the garden and realize what his family had lost by sin. But how long it was here, we don't know, and uh, for sure it's speculated But there are those who think it might have been here up to the time of Noah. And then what happened? Apparently, it was taken up, transported, because the next time we see it, remember over here's the garden, I mean the uh, tree of life? Now at the end of the book of Revelation, we see the tree of life again. And it's in the heavenly city, in heaven. Remember I mentioned to you that the Bible is very much built on something called a chiasm. And what it talks about in the beginning, you will find those things cropping up at the end. We see the tree of life in the, in the garden here. Now we see the tree of life in the comparable garden, which is in the holy city. We see Babylon early in Genesis. We see Babylon over here in Revelation. And you see, it builds up toward the cross. There are three major things that were important to the Jews. One was creation. One was the Messiah. And the third was judgment. And those are the three major themes of the scripture. He created us, and we fell, The Messiah comes to redeem us. And now that he has redeemed us, how shall we live? Because before us is a judgment. And then he goes a step beyond that and he does a recreation without the fall in it. And so these were the main themes of the scripture. And the cross is in the middle of it. It points to the cross and it points... The cross is the first coming of Jesus. Now it points to the second coming of Jesus. At the cross, it was Christ who dies. In the judgment, it's the devil who dies. And that promise was given in the garden in in Genesis 3.15.
that he would strike first the Messiah, and then the Messiah would crush the head of the serpent. And so these themes, you see how they, they play into the events of the end times. And notice what else it says about this tree. It will bear fruit every month. How many fruit? Twelve. Now, there's twelve months in a year, usually, lest I knew. Does that mean it'll have apples this month, next month it'll have oranges, etc.? Or does it bear all twelve fruit? Or does it bear twelve different fruit this month, twelve different fruit next month, twelve different fruit in the following month? Exactly how many different types of fruit, I don't know. And what constitutes a fruit? The Supreme Court of the United States claims and has officially ruled that a tomato is a what? It's a fruit. Why did it have to have the Supreme Court? Because the vegetable growers and the fruit growers were debating over who could sell tomatoes. Because usually to be a vegetable, you have to kill the plant in order to eat it, right? But you don't kill a tomato. I mean, the plant is still there producing more tomatoes. You just pick it off. Well, if that's the case, what's a watermelon? Well, is it a fruit or a vegetable? Usually you think of it being a vegetable, but is it a fruit, you see? I don't know. Maybe this tree of life is going to grow watermelons and uh, pumpkins on it. I have no idea. I'm only speculating. But the point is, it will bear 12 manner of fruit and yield her fruit every month. It may be the same thing. It may have apples, oranges, and plums growing on it at the same time, and it may be repeated month after month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Well, I thought nobody got hurt. I thought there was nothing to hurt you there. That's true from what the scripture tells us. Then what does it mean for the healing of the nations? I thought he wiped away all tears. So emotionally, we, we have tears. But you know, did you ever stop to think that Adam was real, real tall? And then there's little old me. Could it be that eating of the leaves of this tree, maybe I'll grow up to be like Adam? It will reverse some of the uh, things that sin has caused. Again, we'll have to wait and find out before we speculate too much on that. Notice what it says in verse 3. And there shall be no more curse. Remember, the law came in to tell us we're sinners. But when we're living in harmony with the law, we don't even think that the law exists. You see, there are many obsolete laws on the books today. And I can't remember which state it is but it's one of either the southern or western states, I think it's probably one of the southern states, that it is illegal to whistle underwater. I think that's Illinois, actually. I'm not sure. Don't hold me to that. Another state, it's illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your pocket. Well, I've not been tempted to carry an ice cream cone in my pocket. My stomach may be. I've never been tempted to whistle underwater. Therefore, as far as I'm concerned, these laws don't exist because I'm living in harmony with them. But some of you who like to carry ice cream in your pocket, this could be a problem for you, you see. That law for you would be a curse. And so the law will exist in the new world. The law will exist, but we'll be living in harmony with it. Therefore, it will be the law of liberty, not the law that condemns us, you see. And notice what else it says. But the throne of God 
and of the Lamb shall be it, speaking of the holy city, and his servants shall serve him. So we will still, we will worship God, we will do his bidding. Look at verse 4. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. In the Garden of Eden, it says that our first parents used to meet with God and talk to him face to face. Now, the scripture indicates that no man has ever seen the face of God and lived. So who did Adam and Eve talk to in the garden? Could it have been God the Son, you see, who later on became their Messiah? Here, it says that they shall see his face. There's reason to believe that it is not only God the Son that we will see, but we will even see God the Father because he's coming to live with us. In the Garden of Eden, we were down here, the Father's up there. But now the Father has come down here to be with us. And remember, it's always been God's will to be with his people. And his name shall be in their foreheads. Again, where does the beast want to put his mark? In the forehead, right? Why? Because that determines your actions. That's why the hand, you know, is either serving God or the hand isn't serving God, depending on the mind. And right here behind your, your forehead is where your mind is. That's where you make your decisions. And this is where the devil wants to put his sign. But notice that God's name will be in their foreheads. Now, you've got to remember that a person's name is also his character. A lot of people overlook this when they say, well, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Well, I didn't swear. No, but the way you did something or the things you said, were you really representing the character of God correctly? You see, you may say you're a Christian, but if you go around grumpy and uh, complaining, you may be right in what you're saying, but you may be all wrong in the character that you're portraying. In so doing, you're taking the name of the Lord in vain, you see. And here he says, the character of God, his name, will be in their foreheads. An ambassador serves the president in a foreign country and speaks in the name of the president or the queen or whatever. Okay? In plain words, in harmony with their will. Look at number five. And there shall be no light there, speaking of the city. And they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God, the Lord God, now notice that. In the Old Testament, when he used Lord God together, it was Yahweh Elohim. And it's usually referring to the Yahweh who created everything. The Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Who will reign? The Father and the Son. The Godhead will rule forever from that holy city. So, the conclusion of the whole book of Revelation actually begins in verse 6 and stretches all the way to 21. That's a long conclusion. Sometimes, you know, I've heard sermons where the preacher will say, and in conclusion, and then about 20 minutes later, you know, you get to the conclusion of it. Well, here, this is the case. By the way, Paul does that too. I forget which letter now, I can't remember. But he uses the word finally about three or four different times before he wraps it up. So he was long-winded too. Okay, look at verse 6. And he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. Now, who is called faithful and true in the scriptures? Jesus, right? All right, the sayings of Jesus. He said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets 
sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Now notice, it says God told the prophets through the angel what was coming. What does it say at the beginning of the book of Revelation? If you got a minute, turn to the first chapter of Revelation. And what does it say there? Hang on a second, I've got to get mine open. In Revelation, the first chapter, notice what it says here. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants. So God the Father gives it to God the Son to show us. Now, what was the channel by which he did? It says, things that must shortly take place. Well, what does he say here in 22.6? He's going to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Right? He's actually, he's actually ending the book of Revelation with the first verse of the book of Revelation. And he says, he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. So Jesus put it into signs. When it says signified, it means signified. It means symbolized. He takes and he puts it into symbols. He gives it to the angels to present to the prophets and the prophets to present to us as to what's coming. And so we find here that the introduction to chapter 1 and the conclusion of chapter 22 overlap. Here again, what I say about a chiasm, you're, you're ending with what you began with. And as we go further, it goes on to say in verse 7, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. So we are not only to be hearers, but we are to be doers. Why? Because we will be held accountable for it. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy. If you keep something, that means you do it. You don't just think about it, you do it. Look at verse 8. And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel that showed me these things. I mean, he was overpowered. If you saw an angel, a bright, shiny, big angel, don't you think you'd be tempted to fall down and if out of fear, if nothing else? Well, I don't know if he was afraid or not, but I think he was overwhelmed. And he bows down before this being. Then saith he unto me, the angel is speaking now, see that thou do it not. We are not to worship created beings. That's what Satan wants. The one thing that Satan wants is worship. And that's what Jesus wouldn't give him. And that's what we are not to give him. For I am thy fellow servant. I'm like you. I serve God. And of thy brethren, the prophets. The angels spoke prophetic words, didn't they? Gabriel did. And of them which keep the sayings of this book, worship God. So the angel, instead of accepting worship, he points them to God. Now this is another reason why Jesus is divine. Because when Thomas fell down before him and worshipped him, he said, my Lord and my God. Now, by Jesus accepting that, Jesus would have been sinning if he were not a divine being. And Thomas falling down before him would have been sinning by calling him divine. But the very fact that Jesus accepted that worship showed that Jesus actually did believe and claim that he was the divine son of God. There's a commandment that you shouldn't do that. 
And you see, that also, that goes back to the book of Hebrews. Remember when we were in Hebrews? The angels had a problem. Because as long as Jesus was in heaven, they had no problem worshiping him. But the moment Jesus took on a human body, the angels were thrown into confusion. Because he was divine. He was the Messiah, the Son of God. But Lord, he's got a human body. What do we do? And in the book of Hebrews, I forget the text, but you can look it up. God had to tell the angels that they were to worship him. You see. So Jesus had a right to be worshipped even in a human body. Verse 10. And he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. How many times I have heard people say, well, my pastor told me we shouldn't study the book of Revelation because it's a sealed book. Well, what does that say? It, it says it's not a sealed book. Well, that's why it's called Revelation. When you reveal something, you don't keep it to yourself, do you? What was the sealed book? It was Daniel that was the sealed book. And Daniel, what Daniel talked about, is being revealed in the book of Revelation. It's being unlocked and spread before us. And so in verse 11, he that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. In plain words, is there going to be a second chance? No. Before Jesus came the second time, people decided whether they were going to be on Christ's side or on the side of the beast. They made their decision. And here, even at the third coming of Christ, you find you're either inside the city with the righteous or you're outside the city with the filthy and unjust. Okay? So when people say to me, they say, well, you know, let's, let's just love each other because we're all going to go to the same place anyway. Well, I don't want to go to the same place. I told you, I think, about this tombstone I saw in Vermont. And it was in a cemetery not far from where some friends of ours had a camp. Very old. It went back to the 1700s. And it said, as you stand there and spy, as you are now, once was I. As I am now, you will be. Prepare yourself to follow me. The point of the matter is, i got to go back to Vermont and look at that again. But the point is, hey, I'm not going to follow you till I know where you went. And that's the way it is here. We're not all going to the same place. Some are going into a fire. Some are going on to eternal life. Look at verse 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according to his, as his work shall be. Now notice here, that text alone says that you do not receive your eternal reward until when? The end of the world, right? So how can I say when I die, I go to heaven or to warmer climates? How can I say that? Does that mean that when I die, I can go to heaven and I can be in heaven for a hundred years? And then when Jesus comes back, he says, Oh, what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. You're supposed to be the other place. Or better still, what if, they, what if when a person dies, he was relegated to hell? He's there a hundred years. And the Lord said, Oops, I'm sorry. You should be in heaven. No. You get your reward when Jesus comes. And this is a part of the reward. 
being in that eternal city. And notice it says, to give every man according to as his work shall be. Now we are saved by grace, God's grace, because of our faith. But we are judged by our works because the works tell what quality that faith was. And James talks a lot about that. So we find that this quite plainly tells us that when you die, you don't go to heaven by attrition. You know? Uh, A lot of people feel you can be perfect by... By dying. But you ever notice even atheists get to go to heaven? Even heathen get to go to heaven? And what's that film they have out? Uh, uh, all, all good dogs go to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. When's the last time you heard about somebody who died and the preacher said, well, he went the other way? I've only heard one preacher say that. And I disagreed with him entirely because I knew the man. But anyway... Here we find that this tells us specifically it's not until the end of the world that the rewards are given. Look at verse 13. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And again, Alpha and Omega are the A and Z of the Greek alphabet. Look at verse 14. Behold, uh, blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have a right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. Now, in the Garden of Eden, there were angels stationed there with fiery swords to keep them from coming into the garden to eat of the tree. Here, there may be angels at the gates, but the angels will be welcoming you in to eat the uh, fruit of the tree. Why? Because this is God's desire, and they come through the pearly gate, which is through Christ. Now, why would you have to come in to eat? Because you're going to be in the new earth, you'll have the your home in the city, the one that Jesus went to prepare for you. But it also indicates that we will also, after sin is behind us and the devil is destroyed, the gates will be opened and we will go out and we will fill the earth. We will plant our own gardens. We will, we will uh, build our own homes and our own vineyards. And then Isaiah 66 says that one Sabbath to another, we will come into the city and stay in our city home. And from one new moon to another. Now the new moon will probably take the place of um, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, and everything else. Once, once a month we have a holiday that we come in, we worship before the Lord, and it's probably at that time that we will eat of the fruit of the tree because it says that every month it would bear fruit and we were to partake of it. As we look at verse 15, for without, that means outside of the the gates, outside of the city, for without are dogs and sorcerers. Now, the word dogs doesn't mean Fido. That isn't what it's talking about. An immoral man was called a dog by the Jews. So they knew what he was talking about. So, in plain words, the immoral are outside. For without our immoral people or dogs and sorcerers, those who are into witchcraft and whatever else, and whoremongers, you know what that means, and murderers and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. Now, a couple of things here. First off, going back to sorcerers, The word that is used for witchcraft in the Bible um, is um, pharmaceutica, isn't it? Uh, uh, Pharmakia. Pharmakia. 
Pharmakia, we get the word pharmacy from it. What do you sell in pharmacies? Drugs. Did you ever stop to think that those people who are mixed up in illicit drug traffic, without realizing it, they're practicing witchcraft? What does a witch do? Mixes brews, right? And so we find that this also would include the drug traffic. And notice what it says, whoever loveth and maketh a lie. It doesn't mean that they actually do it, but boy, they enjoy watching it on TV. They, they get a real thrill being around people who are doing things that they didn't do, but if they had the opportunity, they wish they had, you see. Uh, I had a lady one time tell me we were talking about the state of the dead and when a person died, um, how they slept in their grave until Jesus comes and that they didn't go directly to heaven. We went through all the Bible texts on that. When it was all done, I asked her, I said, is it clear to you from the scriptures what it says about that we sleep until Jesus comes? Yeah, yeah, it is. And do you, do you see that he's the one that gives us the reward? Yeah, I see that. I said, well, what is your response to this? And she said, well, I know what the Bible says. And I read the texts. But I still prefer to believe that my mother's in heaven. And that she can look down upon me. You can believe that the moon is made out of Swiss cheese. Does that make it so? You see. And here, whoever loveth and believeth a lie, you can believe whatever you want and you can deceive yourself. Notice what it says in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. Now notice, I have sent my angel. And he's the one that gave John the dream or the vision about the seven churches of Revelation. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Now that's interesting because John Wycliffe, he was called the morning star of the Reformation. The morning star of the Reformation. It's interesting that the morning star in olden times, was called Lucifer. Wasn't Lucifer the one who bore light? And when he stopped bearing light, he had to change his name. Why? Because when your character changes, your name changes. Just like Jacob meant the deceiver. And when his character changed, he became a prince with God, Israel. And so we find here that who is the bright and morning star? It's not Lucifer anymore. It's Christ himself. He takes this name to himself. And he is indeed a descendant of King David. Look at verse 17. And the spirit and the bride say come. Notice the Holy Spirit is calling us. Come, come while there's time. Don't wait until it's too late. Come. And everybody in the holy city are reaching out to us with an invitation. Come join us. This is actually a gospel appeal. And let him that heareth say, come. Anybody who hears it, he should try to reach out to others and invite them to be in the kingdom too. And let him that is a thirst come. They're thirsty for the water of life, the eternal water of life. And whoever will, Let him take the water of life freely. You don't have to pay for it. Well, actually, you do. There is a price, and that price is to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior instead of trying to save yourself. But it's freely given to those who choose. Look at verse 18. And I, speaking of John, testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add to, add unto these things, God shall add unto him 
the plagues that are written in this book. You want to receive the plagues? Mess around with the book of Revelation. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. Here again, whether you you add to the book of Revelation or you start taking things out of the book of Revelation, it could cost you your salvation. So, what's that do with once saved, always saved? Is it possible to lose your salvation? Yeah, all you have to do is mess around with the book of Revelation. And probably today, rather than add to the book, most people would want to take away from the book. And in so doing, they're on very dangerous ground. Verse 20. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Jesus promises that he will come quickly. Now, question is, that was written in the time of John, 2,000 years ago. What's his definition of quickly? You see. But how long has the great controversy been going on? You see, we had a friend who was 100 years old, and uh, I was talking to him about when he was a boy, and I said, boy, that must have, that must have seemed like a, an awful long time ago. He said, oh, no. He says, it seems like yesterday. He says, 100 years just went so quickly. It depends which end you're on, you see. When you're a child growing up, man, 35 years old, that's old. I can't wait that long. But when you're over on the 80 or 90 year end of the life scale, oh man, that time just went zip by. And the older I get, the more I realize it. But I come quickly. God doesn't count time exactly the way we do. He has his own time schedule that he goes by. And he says, it may seem to you like a long time, but you know, I've been putting up with this guy Satan for an awful long time, even before the world was created. And so when he says he comes quickly, we need to be ready every day. Because we don't know when that quickly will terminate, you see. And so in verse 21, he says, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Notice, he leaves it with grace. The grace of God, the salvation that God gives us by his grace. We don't earn it. He gives it by his grace. Because he wants to give it to us. And he gives it to all who are willing to accept it. And then he ends with the word, Amen. The word Amen simply means, so may it be established. So let it be. And so we find that as we come to the end of the book of Revelation and the 22nd chapter, we can review or summarize some of the things that we talked about tonight. First off, the tree of life is on either side of the river of life and yields 12 kinds of fruit each month. And its leaves are for the healing of the nations. There was no sun in the holy city. God is the light of it. Blessed is he that keeps the prophecies of this book. And by the way, it also mentioned, if I forgot to comment on that, uh, a few verses back, that we are to keep the commandments of God. And that's important. Blessed is he that keeps the prophecies of this book. And the prophecies mean more than just the, you know, the different, interpreting the different beasts. It means the sayings and the words that God gives to us. 
John was told not to seal the prophecy of Revelation. The unjust and filthy will remain unjust and filthy, while the righteous and holy will remain righteous and holy at the time of this prophecy. When Jesus comes, it will be quickly, and he will bring the reward of the righteous with him according to their deeds. That will determine what their reward will be. The righteous do not gain the reward until then. Those who keep the commandments of God will be blessed and will eat of the tree of life after entering into the city. Jesus is the root of the offspring of David, and he is the bright and morning star to which his angel testifies. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let him who will take of the waters of life freely, that he should come. There is a curse attached to adding or deleting from the prophecy of this book. Jesus concludes with the promise, Surely I come quickly. Is that your desire to have Jesus come quickly? Is it your will that you be among those who are ready when he comes quickly. Be faithful. Be faithful and true, because he is faithful and true. And the reward he gives will be the reward that you will be happy with. Until then, we are to study the book of Revelation. We are to see the different things unfolding, and not to be afraid, but when we see things develop, say, praise the Lord. This was told us this was going to happen. God is true and faithful to his word. And even though there may be rough times ahead, yet we read the end of the book and we see who won. And we want to be on the right side. Be on the right side. And you'll not be disappointed when Jesus comes. Let's have a word of prayer before we have our final quiz, okay? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the study that we've had over these weeks, going through the book of Revelation, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We've discovered many things perhaps we weren't aware of before or didn't think about or didn't even know. But Lord, you are the one who not only knows the past and the present, but you know the future. And because of that, we can trust you. And as you have revealed it to us, we know that the future is for our good. Help us to be faithful to you, to love you, to serve you, and keep studying your word. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, our quiz. I'm going to give you a simple one, just true and false. Okay? I'm being kind to you. Number one. Each month, the tree of life bears ten kinds of fruit. True or false? Number two. The river of life flows under the tree of life. Number three. Jesus will return after a long delay, true or false. Number four, there is darkness and light in the holy city, true or false. Number five, those who keep God's commandments will eat of the tree of life, true or false. Then the bonus one, there is a curse attached to anyone who adds to or deletes from the prophecy of this book. True or false? How many of you think you got them all right? All right, let's see if you're a true prophet or a false prophet. And then we'll stone you. Okay, here they are. Each month, I mean, each month the tree of life bears how many kind of fruit? What number? Twelve fruit, not ten. So that's false. The number two, the river of life flows under the tree of life. True. It's, it, 
it says that the tree of life's on both sides and it it's in the midst of it. Okay, and then number three. Jesus will return after a long delay. What's he say? Behold, I come quickly. So it would be false. Now, if, did any of you interpret that as meaning he's coming after 2,000 years of delay? If so, I'll, I'll let you fudge on that one. But that's false is the way I meant it. All right. There is darkness and light in the holy city. False is the light of God that, that lights it up. And those who keep God's commandments will eat of the tree of life. True. Last one. There's a curse attached to anyone who adds to or deletes from the prophecy of this book. True. Okay. Now, I have a homework assignment for you. And that is between now and the next time we study the book of Revelation, go through and read all 22 chapters again and see how much of it you remember and use some of the materials that we we gave to you, including the handout I gave tonight, and uh, study it. Until then, have a blessed Christmas. Oh, and I have given you an evaluation form there. If you could fill that out, that will help me in shaping our future Revelation seminars. And you can just leave it on the table. Just a second. And for those who came in late, that little piece of paper, please put on there the way you want your name on the certificate. And if you also were here for the book of Hebrews, write on that same little piece of paper the word Hebrews. And I'll know that I owe you two certificates. John, yeah, that's right. Uh, This idea of the curse, does that just apply to Revelation? No. If you look, I think it's in the book of Deuteronomy, I can't remember where. God says something similar about the writings of Moses, that you're not to add to it or take from it. So here again, you get this chiasm thing, one in the beginning, one in the end, and it applies to the whole thing. But that's a good point. Thank you. Okay? Until then, shalom, good night, and may the Lord bless you till we meet again.